where we go through the news of the day and talk about stories that matter. I'm Sidney Fizard with Rebel News, and today is Friday, May 5th. At the end of this month, the provincial election will be held here in Alberta. This election will decide Alberta's new premier and set the stage for the province's future as we attempt to exit the COVID narrative era. My co-host for today's show is probably one of the best people in the province to talk to about these matters. Born and raised Albertan and Calgary reporter for Rebel News, Adam Sos joins me now. Hey, <clears throat> great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, really looking forward over the next couple of weeks uh, to having critical conversations about this election. Clearly, there's news happening right across this province. But for this week and the next three weeks, we're going to take these Fridays as kind of a throwback to the Alberta roundups and talk about critical issues, um, not necessarily exclusively election focused, but certainly issues that revolve around elections. Uh, our very own Sheila Gunn-Reed will also be joining me for the next few weeks as well as we have these Alberta focused editions. But Sid, I really do think, um, I don't know if you share the sentiment, but you you strike me as, as, a, as a bonafide Albertan now. Do you, do you, would you agree with that sentiment? Uh, I, I'd say certainly, um, although I, I can't neglect my Ontario roots. I, uh, I'm Ontario born and raised. I love that province, even though it has uh, certainly a lot of issues, to say the least. Now, Alberta, it's a beautiful province, amazing people and the politics, even though they're a little scary at times, are certainly a lot better. Uh, but before we jump into some of that and uh, actually some of the questions you posed to the Premier, uh, I just want to say quickly for the viewers and your convenience, uh, we do stream on several different platforms, YouTube, Odyssey, Getter, and most importantly, Rumble, where we can directly interact with you. We'll answer uh, our comment live on air uh, throughout the hour, thanks to their paid grant services. Uh, for those of you watching on YouTube, there are still a lot of censorship issues on that platform. If you want to see the full conversation, please consider going to Rumble or one of these alternatives. Uh, so now that that's out of the way, Adam Sos, you've actually been getting a lot of questions into the premier lately as, you know, we're in the election season here. You want to tell me a little bit about that? And we have uh, a short clip we'll bring in on a second. Yeah, it's it's been incredible, despite the sort of narratives about not being able to access uh, Danielle Smith and her not answering questions, which we'll talk about in a bit from Rachel Notley, um, myself, Alex Dollywell, a number of other journalists um, are able to get questions in and, and effectively every event I've been to, I've been able to ask a question. So um, I guess we can just start rolling and, and, and start sort of commenting on some of these uh, questions that we've got in. I think we've got a video ready to roll on that. So we can hop to that right away. Good morning, Adam Sos from Rebel News. Uh, a lot has been made about the sort of Danielle Smith versus Justin Trudeau narrative or the Danielle Smith versus Rachel Notley narrative. Um, I wanted to touch on perhaps a different angle. What about conservatives in Alberta who are apprehensive to support the UCP? Or I've often heard the terms are supporting the UCP only as a lesser of two evils. What do you say to them? Well, look, you've got two choices in this election. I think we've got a choice with the UCP government that will move Alberta forward or an NDP government that will move the, the province backward. And we've seen the difference between our two records. The NDP has demonstrated what they will do when they're in government. They increased taxes. They brought in a corporate tax increase. They brought in a, uh, a carbon tax that we can't get rid of. They brought in changes to how, how farms are operated. And they've, they've threatened now to do that once again. We know exactly what we'll get under the NDP. We'll get an environment where people are, are looking, thinking twice about staying here. They, we saw 13 quarters where people left our province. We, we saw a, a decline in investment, decline in revenue, and decline in ability to pay for the things that people care about. That's what they're voting. That's what the choice is. They can vote for us, and they'll have the same stability that they have had over the, the last four years, knowing that we are going to keep taxes low. We're going to be relentlessly focused on jobs and economy and investment and bringing people here and, and creating an environment where we're going to, to continue to grow. So that, to me, are the, is the two big choices in this election, and I want people to, to vote for another United Conservative Majority Government. Yeah, so I found it interesting. I honestly, when I asked that question, um, the, the the notion, I heard the lesser of two evils, two people actually, before the event got started, used that language with me, um, that they're supporting Daniel Smith. Um, some of them were flat out opposed to the UCP, but now they just really do not want the NDP in. Um, so that, that term is a term that I've heard very frequently, the lesser of two evils. Um, I was kind of hoping Danielle Smith would be like, no, we're not evil. We're actually, it, it was an opportunity for her to take a stronger position. But I think in line with the UCP strategy, and, and I imagine this is the UCP strategy, so many media outlets and Rachel Notley are, are out there just launching personal attacks, trying to stir up scandals. 
I think their strategy is to remain incredibly simple, not potentially lob any softies out there that someone might uh, take and run with and create a new headline that all these outlets will run with. I think they're just trying to be safe and stay on message and stay on policy. Um, virtually everything they go back to is economy, taxes, jobs, economy, taxes, jobs. They always defer to those sort of talking points. So um, again, it was an answer. It was a direct answer, but I, I feel like it wasn't maybe tackling the issue uh, as head on. It's not the American style politics of sort of bringing bringing their personality into it. They're like, no, 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 let's just focus on the on the topics on the on the policies. What did you think? Well, and to add to that, especially over the last two years, there's been division and division and division. Every every corner of our lives have been like that through mm -hmm. the the COVID era, as it were. Um, so I can understand, you know, trying to be as you know peaceful as much of a firefighter as possible, putting out the flames wherever they may arise. Um, so I can understand that sentiment to a large degree, uh, and especially because of that division. I mean, during January and February, we'll end up talking about this soon uh, with the Freedom Convoy, the Coots blockade, all of these demonstrations that really shifted politics. And now uh, everyone kind of just wants to take a break and relax and forget about the pandemic and move on. And part of that moving on process is going to be, you know, being a normal, nice person that isn't trying to uh, be too divisive in a sense, but also holding a firm line in the values that actually matter. Uh, mm -hmm. Because if you don't do that, then you don't really represent anything. And, you know, the lesser of two evils, I understand that uh, to a degree. A lot of people feel that way about politicians these days because it, nobody can provide you exactly what you're looking for yeah. because we are all so unique. We all have such different perspectives. Um, and to really capture everyone in one movement, that is a difficult task. Yeah, and I think I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think there's this notion of is it the lesser of two evils or is it compromise to build this? And we hear this term all the time. I know it's the most like overstated thing, but build this big tent where everyone can feel included. Um, and I think by focusing on jobs, by focusing on economy, by getting more money in people's pockets, and then getting away from some of these other sort of contentious issues. Not that you or I might necessarily agree with that, but when you're trying to win an election, um, there may be some strategic merit to that. Now, particularly, and as we said before, it's magnified by the constant personal attacks um, that, that Daniel Smith has been enduring. So, th so the intention to simply sidestep that and move forward, um, we'll talk about this a little bit as well, but even on the whole notion, uh, Rachel Notley again tweeted, oh, Daniel Smith is not taking questions. Um, it, the, the, there's just a dishonesty. Another thing, and we're going to talk about this, it's, it's one of the next questions I plan on asking the Premier. Uh, the the NDP is also announcing announcements that are projects the UCP has already been working on and the media doesn't call them out so it's almost like they're playing they're playing pool or they're having a race but the the, the UCP with with the environment that's been created is running uphill now there is a little bit of that when you are the current government you're 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 the one guarding the top of the the hill so um everyone's sort of coming for you but it, it is it is it is interesting. I know I know for lots of people out there who are extremely impassioned or are focused on a sole issue, the fact that Daniel Smith is maybe moving away from those issues, whether it be amnesty, whether it be um, some of the response or, or the purported and attempted responses to the COVID nineteen restrictions, uh, the the attempt to move away from that, while for many people might be disheartening or might prompt people to use this lesser of two evils terminology. For others, it might be, well, I guess I can vote for them because I just want to focus on moving forward. Um, Rick Bell actually asked an inter interesting question on what the sort of threshold of that compromise is uh, between abandoning sort of the people who may have rallied and supported you uh, with Daniel Smith being one of the prominent sort of freedom oriented leaders who then won the leadership race and became premier and generally winning the election. The reality is, is and then Daniel Smith touched on this, the, the notion of lesser of two evils, ultimately what we what we have is there are other parties, there may be parties that are more principled out there, certainly, but it is likely based on all polling, all numbers and all statistical evidence that one of these two parties will form government. Um, so I understand their efforts to, to, to sort of pave the broadest road that the most people feel comfortable voting for them. Um, Something else you touched on, and I think we'll transition into this next video clip here, if you don't mind, if you don't have anything else, but you touched on the notion of sort of division contention. And, and one thing that I've been I've been focusing on, and I had the opportunity to ask Premier Daniel Smith about was 
the United Conservative Party has, in a sense, been divided significantly, um, particularly under the leadership of Jason Kenney, not to necessarily say it was his exclusive his fault exclusively, um, but we did see MLA uh, Drew Barnes, MLA Todd Lowen, ejected from the party for criticizing the COVID-19 response. Um, so I, I asked Danielle Smith about what her leadership would look like and if MLAs would be free to sort of express their opinions and, and work on behalf of their constituents, even if that broke from party lines. So I think we can jump to that clip now. Adam Sos, Rebel News. Uh, one of the potential causes of divide in the UCP over the past few years has been the inability of MLAs, uh, nominally Drew Barnes, Todd Lowen, to name a few, to speak out when they disagree with the leadership or when they have personal concerns. Under Danielle Smith UCP, will MLAs be able to speak out and represent their constituents? Well, you know, I, I, I prefer to be, have a leadership style where um, our, if anyone has a concern, they can raise it with me directly. And I'm very open to talking about how we can accommodate different concerns. We have an open and robust uh, caucus discussion. And we also have um, uh, the ability to, to vote freely in our, our caucus and, and our cabinet. I, I don't think we've encountered any circumstances under my leadership where we haven't been able to resolve our, our issues around uh, certain circumstances or certain pieces of legislation. Um, but it seems to me like that process is working and I'm going to continue working because I think if you treat people with respect, they will treat you back with respect. So that's just my, my leadership style. I'm, I'd, I'd need a specific example um, if there's anything in particular that you think that, uh, that hasn't, hasn't lived up to that. But I, I, think our, I think our MLAs are really excited that we're part of a united conservative movement. They have a lot of input on, in the decisions that we're bringing forward. I can tell you some of the issues that we brought forward today. The agri-food uh, agri processing tax credit came out on the campaign trail when, when Rebecca Schultz said, we need to do this, and we did it. Uh, we, we have a number of our, um, of our, uh, our MLAs who are concerned that we're not recognizing international credentials. It's the reason why we're going to develop a fast track to affirming those. It's, uh, everybody has raised concern about how do we keep our kids here, our graduates here. And those are the issues that come out through the, the caucus and cabinet process. And so we're announcing a, a tax credit today that will keep more of our graduates here and attract more people here. So all of these things uh, are, are, are really generated from the great ideas of my caucus. I think we've got a fabulous relationship and I'm going to keep that going. Uh, Rick Bell, Calgary Sun. So what did you think of that? Uh, that is a response. Ed. Well, I think a diversity of opinions is much more important than a diversity of genders. And I think in this sense, Daniel Smith is doing the right thing. Um, you know, I can't necessarily speak to all of her actions and all of those private conversations and the dealings that are going on with her and all of these MLAs and other members. However, I do think it is is a fair thing to say the right approach is to take into consideration the needs of all of your MLAs, of all of your members of the party, including just the people who vote on the representatives, not just those who are political figures. So the, the more uh, appreciative she is of all of those underneath her and what they have to bring to the table, I think the better off it'll be. Yeah, I, I, and I think it was interesting. I, I Often what I'll do is I'll look to the uh, folks behind the person answering the question, I know the other day for the first question, basically every Calgary MLA was there. Here we had quite a few MLAs, uh, Grant Hunter among them, um, who, who I actually had an opportunity to speak with as well on some of these issues. But uh, uh, when when you're asking when you're asking that question, you can kind of gauge if if there's there's a sentiment. And when I asked it, you could tell all the sort of other MLAs were like. I'm glad this is being asked because this obviously was a concern. Um, Drew Barnes won't be seeking re-election. Uh, Todd Lowen, I think, is back in the fold with the UCP as well, and he was he pursued the leadership as well. Um, so clearly, some people who who were sort of chased away or, or, or were excluded from the conversation have been brought back to the table. And I think that really does matter. I think Jason Kenney would have been better served by having some of those other perspectives at the table, and maybe there would have been a more measured response to COVID-19 and to some other things. I, I, very often, and I know when I talked to Danielle Smith um, about this uh, during the, the sort of leadership campaign, we did that long walk through High River um, and, and we talked about the, the lack of feedback and sometimes leadership, they get encircled by a small group of people um, who very often are either just echoing what the leader has to say or all share the same mentality. And, and you eventually end up being excluded from your broader 
uh, from a broader influence, a broader, broader range of ideas. Um, and now I, I get there's a balance. Uh, a camel is a horse designed by committee. If everybody gets to weigh in, you'll have chaos. Um, but I do think that that having those counter perspectives, having as we've seen in this election, the other side of the story, as Rebel Media, Rebel News provides to the mainstream media, rather, um, I think that matters. Even if you don't agree with us, even if you're 100% on board with one thing or another, hearing those alternative perspectives, I think, really does matter. Well, on what day did Jason Kenney go to Coots for the blockades that were taking place, or Milk River? He never showed up, right? Yeah. There were, you know, alleged conversations and negotiations between MLAs and, you know, local politicians and the demonstrators, but never Jason Kenney himself. And yeah. I think that was a large reason for his uh, uh, stepping down uh, mm -hmm. and then his resignation from politics thereafter is because he was taking such a hard line with the very voters who put him there. He was refusing to listen to them. Instead, he was enforcing a lockstep mentality, uh, yeah. which I think just didn't work for many people. I mean, these were... You know, there were thousands of people at these demonstrations who had lost everything and Jason Kenney wouldn't even show his face to them. So, you know, you need a strong leader. At the end of the day, you need a strong leader. And that's somebody who, who takes into consideration everybody who they're working for. Well, and, you know, it was like Jason Kenney himself to me. I'm the one who asked him the question. I think that clip factored into the fact that he's no longer the premier. Um, he said to me like, oh, well, no, we passed laws. There's no such thing as a vaccine passport. He's like, this is nuts. You couldn't possibly conceive of us doing this. And then like weeks later, he's like, oh, we have this uh, alternatively named vaccine passport. That isn't a vaccine passport. It looks like one. It walks like one. It quacks like one, but it isn't a vaccine passport. Um, and that was weeks later. And then after that, I had the opportunity to, to question him. Um, and he went on a bit of a tirade about, uh, oh, we don't need horse deworm. Like it was... I'm like, you're, you're this, it's, it's almost a little bit of what we see with Justin Trudeau, where uh, a year later, he's like, oh, no, people have been injured and stuff. And I'm, I'm quoting Justin Trudeau here, YouTube. So, um, but it's, it's, they're like, no, no, that's not what I said. That's not what happened. Um, they've completely flipped the script on something from, from months ago. Um, and then they're acting as though it never happened. Yeah, there's the clip right there um, at the Calgary Stampede. So the sentiment of, oh, no, no, this could never, this absolutely could never happen. There's not going to be these vaccine passports. And then and then the script is is, is is flipped. And MLAs who were concerned about that are like, no, 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 we, we you just told us that we were never going to do this and that this was illegal in this province. They were rightfully speaking out against that. And I think if nothing else from this question, uh, from this answer from Daniel Smith, um, it did sound like and. Commitments from premiers are, are what they're worth. Um, we, we saw Jason Kenney go back on one. But she did seem to suggest that MLAs would be free to vote and, and advocate for their constituents. I think that is really solid uh, and probably something that, that people, particularly in the rural areas, like to hear. Um, this election, we talk so much about how it's going to be decided in Calgary. Um, Calgary voters, obviously, and Edmonton voters, you look at the progressive mayors, um, not perhaps as freedom-oriented, not perhaps as oriented towards conservatism. Um, so there is a concern that in the effort to pursue votes in Calgary or Edmonton, rural issues, concerns, and priorities might be disregarded. So if those MLAs in those rural areas are are guaranteed by Daniel Smith this capacity to express their opinions freely, I think that that, that is promising moving forward and may, may uh, prevent another leadership review in the near future. Well, to express their constituents' opinions freely. Exactly. Right? Yeah. That's the most important thing. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, on that note, uh, I think we have an, another video coming up uh, yes. about Coots and that situation, as we just described, uh, and Danielle Smith and some of the conversations she was supposedly having during that time. I'm not sure if we can uh, pull to that clip now. Oh, Coots and, uh, and Trudeau. You know, it's I, w I would love Rob to talk to talk a bit about this because he's the lawyer and I'm not. But this whole phrase of peace, order and good government, I think it's become a shorthand to the federal government can do whatever the heck it wants. And we just have to be peaceful and orderly about it. And that's not, in my view, what it should be. The federal government has said they want every federally regulated industry to have vac vaccine mandates. So that's Broadcast media, radio and television broadcast media, it's all of the tele telecom companies, it's all of the grain elevators, it's the ports, it's, um, it's the banks. And so are we going to get to a point where to be able to get a bank account, you're going to have to be vaccinated because you won't be able to walk in the door? I have no idea. But the, the fact that this is just, that this is the line in the sand that's been drawn because the federal government has so much more planned. 
They have so much more coming. And I, I think this is the reason why we want to see this win. We want to see it win so that they don't end up rolling out the full plan. And we want to see it win at Coots so that Jason Kenney, Scott Moe together become the first premiers to turn it around at the provincial level so that other premiers will follow. So uh, the first thing I want to do here is tackle. This is obviously one of the countless clips of Danielle Smith often on, on shows or, or from her past radio career discussing a subject, but I think there's been a lot of sort of misinterpretation of what is being said here. Um, she quite clearly says that she wants a win for Jason Kenny and Scott Moe. She's not, she's the, the sentiment is that she's saying she wants like a categorical win for the Coots truckers there, which I, I wouldn't have a problem with her saying that. But I think what she's saying here is she wants the politicians, despite the federals, the, the federal government overstepping, she wants these politicians to, to go listen to these people's concerns, not just trample them, not implement these vaccine mandates. Uh, and she wants some good to come of this. She wants the provincial governments, uh, which at the time, Jason Kenney, Scott Moe, um, to, to have that win, to prove that they listen to the people and to prove that they can push back against this overreach from the federal government. I also find it interesting that that video clip should in no way, shape, or form be contentious. Press progress uh, very often seems to be seeking scandal where none should exist. The sentiment being echoed here that no one should be forced to be uh, vaccinated, Justin Trudeau said that within the last week. Oh, we never forced anybody. We would never do that whatsoever. Jason Kenney said that would absolutely never happen. And to almost everyone in this country, the notion of forced vaccinations or coerced vaccinations was entirely appalling and has been throughout this entire time until all of a sudden progressives switched and said, oh, no, Big Pharma is good. And we absolutely have to be on board with this. Um, the sentiments she's relaying here are absolutely mainstream and absolutely sentiments that that any politician should be able to carry freely in a free and sensible society, particularly one like Canada that has so long advocated for individuals' freedoms. Well, and on that note, we do have some breaking news about the Coots blockade uh, that mm -hmm. comes to us from the Democracy Fund. And, you know, a lot of people have heard, you know, there is the charges, there is, you know, alleged violence at the Coots blockade and whatnot. But today we have a story showcasing that multiple fines have now been dropped for numerous truckers who are at the Coots blockade. So this is coming to us, you know, just recently. And I think this is a, a really great step. You know, there was talk of amnesty uh, from Danielle Smith, but regardless of that, it seems like this and the Democracy Fund and their fight for these guys is paying off. So I don't know, Adam, what do you think about this breaking story? Yeah, it's good. You look right across the board. Um, I know, and I'm the one that Danielle Smith initially made that promise to twice, in fact, that she would look into and pursue amnesty um, for for everyone involved with these vaccine mandates with COVID-19 restrictions. Now, in in her defense, she did pursue them and she was basically informed it wasn't a, was not a possibility. Um, so as far as her commitment to pursue these, um, I do feel she's honored that. Now, do I feel like she's gone all the way and the extent that she promised she'd combat these things and that these were evils during the leadership campaign. Has she quite lived up to that? No, absolutely not. And I think we could all uh, agree to that. But sometimes it takes an appeal process. Sometimes it takes it takes years of legal, legal happenings. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes people spend a lot of time behind bars as a consequence of these. But on, on many of these cases, perhaps the most recent one, and again, there'll be an appeal process with Pastor Arthur Pawlowski and the Critical Infrastructure Defense Act. Um, most of these charges, whether it be for Pastor James Coates, Pastor Tim Stevens, many of the people who are down at the border, uh, the, the courts are not entirely, but largely getting these rights often on, on the appeal process. But lots of these charges that have been laid, lots of the fines are going away. Um, so there are wins taking place. And for those who are completely discouraged and, and did see some of the extremely questionable decisions coming out of courts, when it gets to the higher levels, it does seem, I mean, maybe I'm being optimistic, but it does seem like the courts of law are starting to get some of this these things right. I think originally with the big push, whether it be from the federal government, whether it be from media, um, people in courts, they are they are human beings um, and, and, and they can be subject to those pressures and whims and the spirit of the age from society. So I think for a time there was, a, there was sort of a sentiment within the courts that, oh, these people are extremists. Um, once they paused, took a breath and started to look at the charter violations and extreme serious concerns that were taking place, uh, they started to realize that, 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 that this was problematic. Again, should any of these people have spent extensive time behind bars? Absolutely not. 
but it is good to see that the courts are starting to get some of this right. Again, for those people who've lost years of their life, being involved in litigation is stressful. Um, there's there's costs involved. Often we're able to help, whether it be through Fight the Fines or Save Arthur or many of these other uh, efforts through the Democracy Fund that we've been able to help these individuals. But it is nonetheless a stressful experience. It should never have happened. But it, it is good to see these good news stories coming out and, and some wins for these people who are simply standing up for their freedoms. And oftentimes the punishment is the process. And yeah. we're seeing that a lot over the last two years, right? It, it may be that somebody comes home at the end of the day, you know, proven innocent, but you've still gone through the punishment of having to go through the court cases, having to pay through the lawyers. It's yeah. it's a very unfortunate thing to have to deal with for anybody. Uh, and then, you know, we talk about those who've actually spent time behind bars. I mean, there's still people who are serving time in pre-bail custody uh, yeah. who have not been found guilty of crimes, yet they yeah. remain locked up. It's, it's yeah. a very unfortunate thing to say in the state of Canada. Uh, and later but, on... We I just wanted to say later on, I do want to talk at length about uh, some charges and some other things that have sort of evolved and the sort of blaring double standards and the degree of penalties that are being placed against people based on the nature of their crimes. But I'm getting ahead of us uh, here, certainly. Um, do you think it's time probably for us to jump for, to a little bit of an ad break and then we'll come back with some, uh, some more questions? That's exactly what I was about to yeah. say. <laughs> Perfect. The media said that Canadian truckers were Russian agents controlled by Vladimir Putin. Justin Trudeau called them extremists. The small fringe minority. We are here out of love for our families, our communities. And the government put the country under martial law to stop them. But what's the real story? If you can't see the future in clear outline right now, you're not paying attention. But the truckers in Canada can't. And I want you to know that I'm not afraid. For the first time, the woman at the heart of the trucker convoy speaks out. Hold the line. Tamara Leach, passionate organizer, loving mother and grandmother, proud Métis and proud Albertan, and defiant political prisoner jailed for daring to criticize the government. Tamara Leach. Her new book, Hold the Line, My Story from the Heart of the Freedom Convoy is the inside scoop of what really happened. You've heard from the media and the convoy's critics. Now hear the truth from the woman who inspired the world and made Justin Trudeau blink. Visit theconvoybook.com to order your copy now. That's incredible. But that book uh, was like number one bestseller on Amazon. It's it's incredible. And it's really interesting for folks who haven't had a chance to meet uh, Tamara. She's so just like nice and calm and, and very tranquil person to be around. So um, and one, one of the many people who sort of got not set out to become involved with this thing, but um, I, I was at a recent event of hers and she said, you know, for me, it was like when they told me I couldn't go to my parents' house, that was sort of the the line that she's like, no, no, I have to do something. But uh, it's funny how reluctant uh, heroes often emerge. So yeah, if you haven't had a chance to pick up that book, I'd do so right away. Yeah, no, it was uh, an, uh, certainly an incredible read. And the, I mean, what happened was truly an international phenomenon. We, we started convoys literally around the world. Uh, us Canadians, I say, because you'll, you'll talk to Tamara as well is she started a small, or she was part of the starting of a small movement that was going to be driving across Canada. And what happened as it was driving across the country? Well, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people paid attention to that. And they joined, they participated, they actively invested in this movement. It, it's, uh, it was truly an incredible thing to come out of uh, the unfortunate circumstances that were the pandemic. Yeah. Well, well should we get into this next series of questions? Our uh, our rebel reporter uh, Alex Dollywell, um, he he got some good ones in as well. It's really nice, and, and this is the interesting thing. Despite this sentiment, realistically, when you're at one of these pressers, um, there's like 15, 20 people in line, um, and some people, if you give them one follow up, they'll ask several follow ups. Um, the premier is on a tight schedule. Very often, she's uh, scheduled to be three hours away in three hours as an event wraps up. So um, I don't necessarily think that it's a spin when she says, I, I'm going to take one question to try and get to more outlets because there's usually a lineup. But 
that being said, I, I'm at these events. We have other reporters at these events. They make sure that everyone can get a question. And so uh, uh, on that note, I, I suppose we can just jump to the first question here about the federal carbon tax. Uh, Alex Dolly, Will Rebel News. Uh, my first question is, um, in a CBC interview uh, in October, Premier Daniel Smith uh, opened the possibility of the province relitigating the constitutionality of the federal carbon tax with the Supreme Court of Canada. Now, have there been any further conversations as to whether that will be pursued in the uh, near future? Well, listen, uh, this government, the UCP, is always going to stand up for Albertans, and the carbon tax is something that puts a tax on everything and makes life more expensive for Albertans, and especially for Albertans when you take into consideration uh, how everybody else is dealing with the carbon tax, and especially when you take into consideration this particular issue of electricity and the electricity grid. This is going to hurt Albertans harder than it's going to hurt anybody else in Canada except for maybe Saskatchewan. And we need to make sure that Albertans realize this before Election Day, how significant this promise is by Rachel Notley. Down with the yeah. carbon tax. Yeah, that's about it. That's the extent of it. You know, it's, and this is, I mean, I'm not even speaking to this particular issue, but just broadly speaking, like, it's just, Daniel Smith just needs to say enough is enough, put an end to this. You don't get to throw money at a, this, I mean, it, you don't get to throw money in a problem like the environment and, and have it be fixed. It's also incredibly rich because we have people from cities, progressive cities that are literally just pouring uh, sewer waste directly into the ocean, pollution pollution on levels that 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 a city like Calgary couldn't imagine. Um, and realistically, while while we may be producing these resources, they're the ones burning them. Um, so it, it's it's incredibly rich for them to be like, oh yeah, we need to take some more of your money to help the environment. Um, this is part of uh, it's two prong. One is to to consolidate more wealth among them and their friends. Um, it's a power grab. You can't throw money. I mean, you can throw money at new technologies, but that's not what most of this is about. This is they they they're buying votes by giving you a credit back. You get your four hundred bucks, and you're like, wow, this is great. Not realizing you've spent a small fortune on, on these carbon tax costs. It's part of the perpetual inflation being driven by this government, and and the amount of inside contracts and deals that are being dealt in these sorts of industries that are not practical. Most people can't afford an electric car right now. Most people can't afford more than more than when Justin Trudeau got in, in fact. Um, most people can't afford solar panels. Um, these technologies that are starting to emerge, they're not accessible to people because life is becoming unaffordable. I think, and this is strictly theoretical though, but if Justin Trudeau would have never been in office and there wouldn't have been a concerted push some of this technology is getting to the point where solar panels can offset your electricity bill. And if you're only a short distance commuter, electric cars can be can be okay. They, they do certain things pretty well. Tesla's certainly some some nice features to them. Um, I feel if there if this wouldn't have been politicized, and if these green technologies would have been just left to compete on the open market rather than pushed by carbon tax. There's such a negative connotation around them. I think we probably would have had more green technology as a society at this point under a conservative government than we have now under Justin Trudeau. Yeah, I think to say the least. I mean, we're actually investing in innovation in the energy industry uh, around the world. We are one of the key players and we have so much resource available that mm -hmm. it's almost unprecedented. And we're not actually like, when was the last time you heard about slave labor in Canada? You know, a lot of the rare earth minerals and a lot of the resources that go into these, you know, fancy environmentalist tools, uh, such as solar panels and whatnot, uh, or large batteries, I should say, uh, how much of this is using slave labor, right? You know, I, and personally, I, I, I'm a little more worried about slave labor than I am about environmentalism. You know, yes, sure, you want to take care of your environment as any one would, you know, we are the custodians of Canada. We don't want to burn all of our forests and be left with nothing. We want to take care of our environment. That's yeah. a normal thing to do. But this environmentalism, you know, the mantra of the world is going to turn into a, a ball of fire unless we do everything we can to stop everyone from doing anything. It's not going to work. And there is also the, the, these people are making deals and buying electricity from China with these massive coal plants and they're China, India, those places are polluting on a level that we don't we don't 
we're insignificant. We could all disappear as Canada and it would not make a meaningful difference whatsoever. Probably some of these people would love to see all of Canada disappear, but uh, it, it's, it's, it's so just glaringly hypocritical and and there, there's a there's a, an absurd double standard there people who are flying private jets around that consume more uh, energy than i will in in a year in a day um and and yet we're supposed to feel feel terrible and give a bunch of money to this uh it, it's not it, it's one of the current sort of lies that society has, has accepted um th these lies are on numerous fronts but it's it's the general sort of progressivism slash socialism uh perspective or mindset that has become so prevalent within parts of europe and within north america um that if you look at these issues whether it be on gender whether it be on the environment whether it be on uh, the economy um, if you look at them through any sort of critical lens if you look at them through uh, through any context of history whatsoever, you'd realize they're false. If you looked at them through the lens of science, you'd realize that these things are not tangible. But they've simply been accepted because one, the mainstream media pushes them and they're bought and paid for, state-funded media certainly. Um, and then two, the government is just legislating this and, and they're really gaslighting people into thinking, if you disagree with this, you're crazy. It's similar to what we saw with these vaccine mandates that one month they were completely unthinkable and then a month later they were they were the law of the land. Um, so I think this is part of a general cultural shift that needs to take place to get away from this um, it is, is an, an affirmation of facts, an affirmation of reality, and a rejection of all this stuff that has been pushed. Because when you look at this, like you said, there's there's slave labor. Um, you, you see these cities that are just pouring sewage into oceans. Um, you see mass pollution. There, there are these issues that can be tackled directly. But on lots of those issues, there's not a lot of money to be made. So they aren't tackling them. Um, they only seem to bring these issues to light when there's some way for them to in, in, increase attacks. You know what? Let's cap Montreal and Vancouver's uh, sewer drainage into the ocean. Let's do that. I'm 100% for that. Um, focus on replanting initiatives so that areas aren't being clear-cut. 100%. Let's do that. Um, giving money to the government so that they can have these green initiatives and give people carbon tax refunds? No, absolutely not. Not interested. Carbon tax refunds. Isn't that just rich? It's like, yeah, okay, we're going to take your money, and we're, but we're not going to tell you that part. We're just going to say that you're getting the refund. You're getting a yeah. little bit of money back. Oh, where'd yeah. the money come from? Oh, it came out of your own pocket. Nice. Oh, man, ga gas is really expensive these days. At least I got that 382 bucks from Justin Trudeau. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least I got a tiny bit of the money I gave to the government back. Yeah, exactly. And it, just to think how much of the money is squandered in like beer. It's not just they took thousands of dollars from me. They gave four hundred dollars back. They they lost probably. Yeah, they I paid people to lose it. Yeah, they paid people to lose it. Bureaucracy, typical. Um, sh should we get into this uh, sort of next? And I think part of this this yeah. segues and ties in nicely. The the capacity for media to ask questions to challenge and. I think the requirement for politicians to be held accountable and to answer questions is critical because for the longest time, Justin Trudeau, Rachel Notley, some of these other people have been excluding divergent opinions, have been excluding tough questions. They're only letting their friends in to the party. Um, and, and we're seeing that it's a, a serious uh, topic of, of discussion within this province. Um, so let's let's get into this next video where Alex uh, asked about uh, the, the certain the kicking out of certain journalists from media events by Rachel Notley. Uh, so in uh, recent weeks, we've seen the uh, official opposition um, pick winners and losers uh, in terms of uh, which members of the press they will take questions from. Recently, we saw uh, Rachel Notley kick out uh, Keen Bextie and myself from a uh, press briefing uh, in downtown Calgary. Now, can we get a commitment from the UCP that they will allow all members of the press, regardless of where they land on the uh, spectrum, um, that their questions will be um, answered and they will have that opportunity to ask those questions? Our team and our leader have been committed to taking questions from all media outlets. We saw that earlier this week at our uh, very exciting campaign announcement to reduce personal income taxes for Albertans. Premier continues to take questions from media on a daily basis, as do we. And as you see here today, we're happy uh, to take questions from all media outlets. Thank you. Next question in person. Yep. Well, and on that note, I, I wonder if we can actually pull up the clip of him being kicked out of the uh, NDP uh, uh, session that they had, which he referenced. 
because it is truly amazing. And I watched that and I, I just laughed because what, not only did she kick out uh, the counter signal, she kicked out Rebel News. She also refused questions of the, if I have it correct, the Western Standard and uh, Calgary Sun, right? Probably four of the main uh, uh, outlets that would be on the other side of the aisle, let's say, uh, yeah. from the NDP. And she, she refuses all of them. And then she goes on to say, we take questions from the media, all journalists or whatnot. How, it's, yeah, here it is. Let's just take a look at that if we can. The mayor well, of Calgary. I mean, what, whatever what they do is, is their bailiwick, right? It's nothing to do with us, right? So you gotta understand that. What they choose to do is, is within their purview. All I'm, I'm just a, you know, I'm just a messenger boy here. I appreciate that, but, message, uh, so, you know, I think that it's totally reasonable that I'm here. I mean, it, it may, it may very do you work well for the party? Uh, we're contractors. But so, You're contractors. So, Security contractors to stop media from asking the ex-premier questions? I'm not stopping or? anybody from asking anything. I'm just well, you are, gonna, you are stopping me. Well, if, push comes to shove. I mean, we can get into a debate here. I don't want to get into a debate here. I don't want to get into a debate here. All I'm saying, you can to avoid any any hassle, is that uh, they're not going to entertain your questions. So I don't they're want not going to entertain my questions. So it's as plain as that. That's the NDP position. That's right. Okay. I'm just taking yeah, it, it's the the thing that makes this the most like absurd and the most upsetting, and it is the Justin Trudeau thing where he's like tweeting about like we support all journalists and journalists are integral to Rachel Notley has been condemning Danielle Smith left, right, and center for not taking media questions while doing this. It's it's insane. And the fact that her her followers, which I'm is what I'm gonna call them, not supporters, followers believe her is absolutely wild even david staples i believe from the edmonton journal and the edmonton journal is notoriously left-leaning for mo most people i think would agree um he was excluded from their mailing lists and they were they weren't taking some of his, his questions i think that's been sorted out and the other day rachel notley did say she would actually take questions from anybody um except the western standard until they apologize over something so we'll see if that that remains true um i believe alex is heading to to an event in the next day or two here so we'll see if they actually honor that and take questions but it's just like double speak it's it's orwellian what we're seeing rachel notley the media even the amount of times we've heard questions from the media about why they're only taking one question she's taking questions from everybody she's taking multiple questions from outlets i even know the other day they were running tight on time and i was in line um and they were like make sure they get their questions the ucp because they don't want to be associated with that exclusion um people who believe this out there i'm really sorry if you've actually adopted and embraced this narrative that rachel notley is the one being held accountable to media and danielle smith is not um i can testify personally every event i've gone to i've had the opportunity to ask danielle smith questions Furthermore, when I approached the UCP asking to speak to an MLA, uh, often they, they've been ministers on certain uh, uh, on certain issues. They'll go and, and ensure that we have the opportunity to ask those people questions as well. If one party is hiding from the media in this election, it is Rachel Notley. I suspect, though, that people are getting wise to this, despite the media efforts to sort of be complicit in it, despite Rachel Notley's incessant tweeting, even I think today or yesterday, stating, oh, well, we, we take all questions, Danielle doesn't. I think Rachel is starting to realize this might be backfiring and maybe that's what part of that statement about, oh yeah, we're going to take questions uh, moving forward. Yeah, there you go. This is, and, and there was another one today. There's, there's several tweets just like this while she's literally the audacity to literally kick journalists out and then tweet this. It's, it's, I mean, it's Trudeauian is the only term I can come up with. Yeah, no, right now it seems like Danielle Smith is putting out other people's fires and Rachel Notley's putting out her own fires. So, yeah. you know, let her let her keep doing that. You know, I, I saw the language that the Alberta NDP used during the, the Freedom Convoy movement and those kinds of demonstrations. Mm -hmm. the, the language that they were using, the rhetoric that they would use towards people who literally lost everything because of government policies. And then they would speak against those government policies or advocate for a different stance or a different method. And they would yeah. be getting called, they, they, would, they would be called terrorists. Yeah. It would be called violent extremists for, for what? For losing everything and trying to get something back, trying to have something in their lives, right? Trying yeah. to be able to go to a restaurant, trying to have a restaurant where you can serve people regardless of your vaccine status. I mean, people were losing everything. And, yeah. and the kind of double speak that we're seeing now, uh, you know, in a sense, I'm not surprised, right? Yeah. It, they'll, they'll say one thing and they believe something entirely different. And, you know, back in the day, though, 
they showed the true colors. And I don't yeah. think there's any going back from that. People just have to be reminded. Well, and I, th you, I think, again, you hit the nail on the head there because there, there's this underlying, it's like they can't escape their underlying guilt and they can't escape revealing what they know they're doing wrong. Their activists, the people associated with them, whether it be climate activists, whether it be um, the, the, the unions who condemn the freedom convoys, and then they were striking and engaging in, in far worse activity, kicking cars, all that sort of stuff that we saw. Um, but their political activists are paid political activists who often use intimidation to gain a political end, which there's a definition for that, but I won't, I won't call those people that. Um, on the other side, on, on the side of the Freedom Convoy, uh, you had people who they called terrorists who were working class people with no history or virtually no history of political activism, Tamara Leach among them, um, who were pushed and pushed and pushed, told they couldn't see their families. As you said, their businesses went under and they said enough is enough. Like we're trying to survive here. People are losing their lives. We saw depression. We saw all of these issues. And so these people sort of reluctantly took a stand because things had just gone too far and they vilified those people. But I think there was the underlying knowledge that they're the ones who have the political activists who are maybe pushing a little bit too far. They're the ones not taking questions from the media. Um, they're the ones overstepping and violating rights. Um, I, I think that there is an underlying guilt with lots of these people, and it surfaces in these hypocritical statements and tweets like the one we just saw from Rachel Notley. Well, and, you know, before we get to some of the next stuff we have, uh, Adam, as somebody who uh, I just recently came to Alberta, of course, during the, the era of the COVID whatnot, uh, what was it like before with i mean she was in power before how was it what what was the the feel of the room in a sense yeah so i think i think once they got in um they sort of backed off and quieted down don't get me wrong um that we saw like uh back in 2018 we saw the the ban abortion bubble zone stuff there was some sort of uh progressive inclination and a push towards that but I think they may have once in power adopted a similar strategy to the UCP while they're like, well, we, we have the spot now, so let's not overtly uh, generate scandals. Now, economically, they were bad. As Daniel Smith mentioned in one of those video clips, for quarters, we saw people leaving the province instead of coming in, which was anomalous for Alberta. Um, and it, it, it was economically not a good time. It was as far as progressivism achieving problematic ends um, that some of that was happening but i think and, and don't get me wrong i never advocate for an ndp government um i think that they scaled back once they were in power a little bit so so it certainly wasn't good um but i, I think people were far more afraid it would be far more cataclysmic than it was now far more cataclysmic than aggressive progressive agendas being pushed and the economy struggling is pretty bad um, and, and 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 I remember before that election, the sentiment of this orange crush winning was like, well, that can't actually happen. I think I think when they won, they were shocked. I think lots of their candidates who won weren't ready for the office. I don't think they were a particularly silly government or, or particularly ready government. So they they were they were it, it was kind of silly. It was like a mishmash of people with political ideologies, but they didn't have the the perhaps the capacity to do as much as they did. Now, that's the concerning part. Their, their war chests are full. They're organized now. They've had time to prepare. They've had a taste of power and then lost it. I have a serious concern that this time around, they will be prepared. They will be armed uh, and they will be ready and they will likely do more. As we saw with the net zero grid uh, purported to cost something like $87 billion. I think their ambitions, because last time I don't think it, I don't think they, until the very end, thought that they really had a chance of winning. Um, now that they're like, oh, we're really in this, we've done this before, we can swing Calgary. I'm concerned that that they might be ready to take steps that would be far more permanently damaging to the province. Well, and, and what was the, the reasoning for their victory last time? I've heard some say that it was kind of like a surprise or it was a a vote against the UCP rather than mm -hmm. a vote for the NDP. 100%. Yeah, it was basically protest votes. Um, the sort of uh, Redford, uh, there was a bunch of scandals, which by by comparison to Justin Trudeau or Rachel Notley today would be fairly minimal. But uh, there, there was certainly a sense of entitlement. The UCP had been in power for so long. There was a whole Sky Palace incident. Um, there, there was so many sort of just like factors that reeked of entitlement 
and an old old boy sort not old not that it was a boy but that old boy mentality of we're politicians we can get away with everything people were just sick of that eventually there is a sentiment that that, that there needs to be change progressive play, progressives play on this they're always they're always saying oh we need to change the change things can be going perfectly and they'll be advocating for the change um but yeah it, it was a protest vote but it wasn't entirely un merited the the criticisms and concerns were valid and i think that that carried over a little bit um into what we saw with the ucp under jason kenny um many of those sort of old voices many of that uh many of of the sort of strategies and, and expectations um from politicians i think they carried over into the united conservative party um i think they've been quelled a number of the candidates who were around back in those days um or at least towards the end of those days um, they're not seeking re-election now. Um, lots of new young sort of blood being uh, uh, brought into the United Conservative Party. So um, I think that there was still a bit of purging to do from that that rebellion or protest vote. Um, again, though, really, you, we've talked about this. You have to swing Calgary. And if you look at our mayor, uh, extremely progressive, Edmonton is going to vote with the, the NDP. Rural regions will vote with the UCP, generally speaking. It comes down to Calgary to decide, and we we saw with our municipal elections that Calgary can be won over by progressive ideas. Unfortunately, now beyond that, there is there is arguments about whether there's vote splitting or or whatever occurred there for GOT Gondek to to gain power. But last time, ultimately, they won through Calgary, and if they're able to do it again, uh, if they're able to gain power again, the NDP, it'll again be through Calgary. Well, and this is a bit of a silly question, but what about the Liberal Party here in Alberta? Not, not particularly. You mean Alberta Liberals or the federal yes. Liberals? Alberta not particularly liberals. popular, which makes it surprising that we do see the 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 sort of strong contingency. But I think it is all of Alberta is is profoundly conservative, and probably more than half of Calgary. And then because there was quite a bit of vote splitting, and then the Edmonton with so many government officials working there, um, that would be one of the places that is that is far more uh, liberally inclined. Um, I know we're running tight on time. Um, should we do one quick ad ad break and then get through um, a couple of these stories towards the end? Yep, absolutely. Let's go for an ad break. I am doing something today that I have never tried before. Listen up. I'm looking for collaborators in a new and exciting initiative. As you most likely know, YouTube a long time ago demonetized Rebel News and we are 100% viewer funded. Now, while our supporters are fantastic at helping us cover legal campaigns and special reporting missions, unfortunately, the reality is our day-to-day operational expenses often exceed our income stream, which is crazy if you think about it because my videos across all platforms attract hundreds of thousands of views and sometimes even millions. So I want to share that reach with the right partners. If you have a product or business and want to enter a win-win relationship with me, please go to rebelnews.com forward slash ads and fill in the form to let me know. I won't be accepting anyone. I need to believe in your business or product so I can sell it proudly for you. And for successful applicants, I will guarantee a minimum view count. Meaning, even if your ad is published on the less popular reports, we'll keep promoting your business or product until it gets the agreed minimum eyeball. So again, if you have a cool company or product that either wants to take advantage of my reach or want to support my work through advertising in a way that you can write it off as a tax deduction or both, head over to rebelnews.com forward slash ads and hopefully we can join forces soon. One other note right on now, the conversation we were having before, if you don't mind, uh, I know we're, we're, we're rushing to get through. There's a couple important stories that we do want to get to. But the other sort of thing to consider when we're looking back to that NDP victory uh, would be the divide that took place between the Wild Rose and the United er, and, and the Conservative Party, Progressive Conservatives, which led to the now uh, United Conservative Party. So many of the people that we featured uh, in these videos today, whether it be Brian Jean, Daniel Smith, were players and that obviously the Danielle Smith floor crossing uh, contributed to that significantly. Um, But I think despite sort of all that and despite some vote splitting taking place, um, the sentiment, the sentiment for sort of a pushback was certainly there. So again, that's another thing to, to consider when we're looking back at that election. 
Certainly. And right before we get on to our next story, I just want to say we are excited to announce uh, that we are live on Locals.com. Whether you're watching on Rumble or YouTube, we do invite you to join our Rebel News community by clicking in the link uh, that should be provided in the description, hopefully, uh, or we can get that adjusted. It's a place where we can engage with each other. Uh, we can share our thoughts and ideas, and most importantly, stand up for our right to free speech without the fear of censorship or being deplatformed. Uh, this is a space where you can access all of our free content, but if you'd like a little more than that, you can also find all of our premium Rebel News Plus content there as well. Uh, becoming a supporter will give you access to content like uh, the weekly show from Ezra Levant, uh, the daily show, pardon me, uh, from Ezra Levant, and the exclusive documentaries and behind-the-scenes content and footage from live events as well. Uh, so I recommend head over to Locals.com and join the Rebel News community today. I just wanted to add that in there quickly, but more importantly, uh, there's charges laid in a string of deliberately set fires in Alberta. Uh, and of course, over the last two years, there was a lot of, uh, I guess you could call it uh, arson against churches that happened across the country. Adam, I know you've been really close to this story. Do you want to give us the details? Yeah, so, uh, and I know some of the vandalism in our next story, we're going to touch on that as well, though. Um, lots of this being being sort of investigated. It's interesting, last night on social media, and this is not necessarily confirmed yet, but I did see a number of people stating that that like a series of fires was being set even along highways. Um, so there is clearly, obviously it wasn't this individual because they've now been detained, um, but but some of these fires taking place, I know we saw at Siksika Nation, there was an attempted fire. Fortunately, the church was saved, but there was damage. Um, fires being set at random spots, but also uh, we saw that we saw the church, I believe it was in Bonneville, burnt down. Significant, massive issues um, are, are taking place when you have churches being burnt down. I know in, in Ontario a while back, Justin, there was, there was a bit of vandalism on a mosque and Justin Trudeau went there straight away. He's yet to visit some of these locations where churches have been burnt down. Um, it's particularly heart-wrenching because in many of these communities, um, the, the, the church most recently that burnt down was the Latter-day Saints Church. Um, but I know, for example, one of the churches in Calgary that that fell fell victim to arson was a Vietnamese community church. So they ex escaped persecution in in communist Vietnam, come to Canada, seeking this new like see seeking religious freedom, and then no association whatsoever with the residential schools. They weren't here. Their church wasn't established here, but they they fall victim to this uh, arson. Um, I believe on this case, uh, they don't. There hasn't been a direct affirmation that this was a hate motivated incident unless there's been new new developments on this but regardless someone setting fires near or around churches and those churches going up in flames well that should be international or at the very least national news this is an absolutely massive story but it doesn't particularly feed into any sort of narrative um so so i think unfortunately while there is news coverage of this um it's not to the degree that that i think would be appropriate no, well, to say the least. And, you know, maybe the silver lining here is that we're at least not as a uh, country arresting pastors anymore for hosting church services. Uh, it may still be certainly unfortunate that there are arsonists, vandals who are acting very inappropriately towards these facilities. But at least it's not the government doing it this time. Yeah. Uh, it, not uh, Yeah, sorry. Well, and I, I, you just touched on something perfect there. The the next story that that definitely ties into this pretty strongly, and it's another one that we covered very closely, was the string of uh, vandalism that we saw at churches across Calgary. Um, not arson in these cases, but paint being splattered all over these churches. Um, so the individual who who they they identified some time ago has finally had their sort of court uh, matters um, settled, and they they've they've confirmed that they were involved in four churches. Whether they were in coordination with other people, I think it was something like 11 churches were targeted in total. Um, but here we have the four churches um, that were that were vandalized, painted. Um, some of the churches left the paint up. Some of it's already been cleaned up. But they get three months to be served at home for committing numerous hate crimes across the city. Meanwhile, we saw numerous pastors in jail for months for opening their churches and refusing to eject people. Um, in some of these cases, they weren't they weren't forcing people to be masked. They had safety measures in place. But I just want to point out the absurd and glaring double standard there. You can go around committing and being charged on hate 
motivated crimes, vandalizing numerous churches, and you get to stay at home for a couple months. Obviously, I'm sure there's there's more restrictions in place and nobody wants that, but that is a serious crime. I guarantee you if that had happened to a mosque, that person would be in jail, period. And I also find it absolutely absurd that these court systems can see fit to keep pastors with virtually no criminal history whatsoever or no criminal history whatsoever, behind bars for months as dangerous people, and then actual criminals like these who aren't who aren't violating sort of impromptu fly-by-night COVID-19 restrictions, but are are committing hate crimes, they get a slap on the wrist and they get to stay at home. Yeah, welcome to Canada, right? That seems to be uh, the new motto, at least under our current Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau. Uh, and of course, as much as it is the, the pastors across the country, uh, as well, I remember uh, my time in Quebec, uh, in Montreal, there's a community there in Outremont and their synagogues uh, were being targeted by the SPVM, the local police. Uh, and they were being harassed in all sorts of ways. It's it's very unfortunate, but it is it is certainly a good thing that the government has decided to, you know, take a step back from that angle, at least. And, you yeah. know, unfortunately, these individuals have still, you know, committed these crimes against and it is good that there is some justice that is being brought, even if it isn't necessarily the 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 what has been sought by everyone. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is again. It's one of these cases of eventually the courts hopefully getting it right. Hopefully that is what we're seeing here. But they what they did with these pastors is is, is send a message. Um, that's what they were doing. They were, they were very clearly making an example. And once all was said and done, most of these charges sort of dissipated. Um, they they wanted to make an example. What example does it set when Christian, largely Christian churches are being targeted across the country? I think we're into the, the I think we're, we're we're nearly 70 now or more churches, places of worship have been targeted either by vandalism or arson. There's clearly an emerging trend of anti-Christian sentiment in this country and, and here in this province. What message does it send when in the face of that, you get a slap on the wrist. That That is a serious concern for me. And it's reflective of the general anti-Christian sentiment within society. Um, it seems like a perfect opportunity to throw to save the Christians, but I think we're we're wrapped on time and we do want to get to people's chats here. So should we get into that right away? Absolutely. You want me to do the uh, speed read? Sure, go for it. All right, $5. Good to see you back, Adam. Smith, 2023. That's uh, from uh, Mike Freedom Honey on uh, Rumble. Let's see here. From I think the there was Odyssey one chat. before that. Yep, I'm doing that one right now. Perfect. From the Odyssey chat, great to see Sos regularly again. Uh, not sure where he went in recent months. I'm planning to move my entire family from Ontario to Alberta. Go Daniel Smith. She better change Alberta law to protect our fundamental natural rights. From uh, Restitutor Orbis from our Odyssey chat. Adam, do you want to chime in on that? I was with my kids. A little baby was hanging out. So yeah, it's, it's, it was it was really good. Uh, wonderful to work for a company like Rebel News that is so family first. They very much practice what they preach. So I was working a ton during the lockdowns, restrictions, all that stuff. And uh, you only get this opportunity to spend time with the kids once. So uh, they were very gracious to let me spend some time with, with the kids before getting back at it. But I am back and in full force and very much looking forward to it. We'll be seeing you, as I mentioned, every week on Friday for these special sort of Alberta editions of this live stream. And yeah, look forward to my reports. AlbertaDecides.com is the spot to cover uh, and to catch all of our coverage of the Alberta election. Next up from JCMN84, $10. Thank you very much. And thank everybody for their donations. Uh, he sends us a link here. Here's how long COVID-19 vaccine immunity really lasts. A study quantifies how much vaccine protection drops over time and makes case for boosters. And pardon me, makes a case for boosters. And he tells us this is a, a meta-analysis that's been posted recently of 50 studies that show vaccine effectiveness. All right. And again, from JCMN84, $10 again, thank you. Uh, Omicron drops 20% six months post-primary series and only 30% post-booster at nine months. BCPHO Dr. Bonnie Henry mandated on healthcare workers implemented uh, fail 2021 only for primary series. All right, $10 from JCMN84. Thank you again. Uh, where is the justification for ongoing BC mandates based on current science? Today, the World Health Organization declares an end to the COVID-19 global health emergency. Adam, do you want to touch base on that? I don't think there is a justification um, that this is the government that 
uh, you can go buy crack on the street and has vaccine mandates. Um, so their justification is in their internal logic, which I would say is deeply flawed. Actually, maybe that's uh, the last thing we should show is that quick little image from BC so we can feel good about how things are in Alberta. Um, there is a drugstore. I think they actually got shut down today by police. Maybe I need to be corrected on that. Um, but they had started to sell meth, heroin, uh, cocaine and crack. Um, and it was yeah. all uh, pure drugs. And there was it was fentanyl free, as it said underneath. Uh, and I think we have that tweet coming up here. Yeah. So yeah not in alberta but in bc adam are you uh, are you thinking this is something rachel notley's gonna bring here oh i'm gonna open up my own uh, shop once rachel notley wins and brings it in we're gonna do great i'm gonna be moving uh moving volumes so i guess the guy was arrested <laughs> here but nevertheless this does speak to to the mentality and what's wild is while this may have in fact been illegal and, and the guy doing this was arrested you can read the responses Find that tweet. Go check out Aaron Gunn's tweet. A bunch of other people have commented on it. And the responses are actually from lots of progressive BC residents. If you follow their profiles, you'll no doubt see who they support. And they're actually in favor of this. The only sane response to this is that it, it's wild. But you'll see people citing studies from Portugal about how decriminalization uh, and legalization of these drugs work. Uh, and, and you'll see just comments about how this is good and it's better than prescription drugs and stuff. It's it's something, and, and say what you will about that, but the fact that the comments to this were anything other than than shock, even the government, this government has now realized that 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 this is wrong. He's been erected, but arrested. But the the fact that people were were on board with this and were tweeting in support of this and were condemning people criticizing this as as old fashioned is is pretty laughable and paints a pretty accurate picture of uh, of. Of, of these people's mindsets well i hope our viewers come up with a really great name for your new store that you're going to open once uh, <laughs> uh nolly wins i look forward to seeing some of those otherwise i think uh it's probably time for us to tune out is there anything we're missing i think we're all set thanks for everyone uh for for tuning in really appreciate it and uh, looking forward to uh touching base with you on a weekly uh weekly schedule moving forward all right take care everyone i am now joined by mla for calgary acadia and Minister of Justice Tyler Shandro, uh, you, you've garnered, uh, I imagine, quite a bit of support for, uh, particularly in the firearms community, the sort of stand you've taken standing up for Albertans' rights against Justin Trudeau. Now, what are the plans to continue those efforts and to take a stand if the UCP is elected to continue leadership? Well, there's a, a lot of opportunities in the Alberta Firearms Act for uh, future governments to be able to look at and be flexible, see what the Trudeau government is planning to do and how they unveil the uh, confiscation program and to be able to act quickly through regulation. So it's a matter of looking at what their next steps are. We heard that they may be, uh, again, trying to uh, to unveil further details uh, in, in particular the next month or two. So we uh, had our second regulation that, that we have uh, passed under the Alberta Firearms Act uh, for the requirement for a seizure agent to get licensed. So that's a second step, and we'll just be nimble, continue to look at what they do and then react to it. Now, is there sort of a very real concern that if the NDP is elected, they could come in, do away with all this, and we could see firearms being confiscated by the RCMP in fairly short order? Absolutely. And, and I think that's always been a worry that the uh, firearms community has had. They've always had to, uh, to know that they're always one election away from, from being targeted by any future provincial or federal government. And I think that's why they're so concerned with this election. Now, finally, in order for the UCP to win, uh, there are a number of sort of contentious uh, constituencies, but yours particularly and right across Calgary, they are very much the battlegrounds that will determine who wins this election. What do you think the key issues are that the UCP need to win on? Jobs and the economy. And that's the number one thing people ask me about when I'm at the doors. People are still asking, you know, thanking us for the last four years, focusing on jobs and the economy, bringing back jobs, bringing back investment. Uh, working with job creators and then they say look we need you to be back in there for another four years to continue that work so we're, we're that's what i'm here at the doors